Uh, If everyone else would turn to Genesis chapter three, that's our passage that we're gonna preach from uh, this morning. If you don't have your copy of God's word, then the words will be provided for you as well. I can remember uh, back in March when we first learned uh, about the COVID-19 pandemic and our local government and our schools began to shut down. Uh, I remember naively thinking that this would only be a a short period of time, almost like it was a a glorified snow day uh, that we've all experienced here in Baltimore from year after year. But then I can also distinctly remember months later when I was preaching through the fruits of the spirit, uh, we came to the fruit of patience. And one of the things that we talked about is how these restrictions and this lockdown and this A new way of living has uh, extended a lot longer than all of us expected. And we needed to handle the circumstances with patience as a fruit of God's spirit in our lives. Well, friends, now it is almost December and we're still dealing with uh, this virus and the resulting implications of it in our lives. And it really has affected everything. It's affected every part of our lives. And We wonder, I wonder every single day, when are we going to get back to normal? Because I think we've all discovered that this wait has been much longer than all of us expected. And so now we come to the Advent season within a pandemic. And we think about that word Advent, we recognize that word Advent means coming and that the Bible talks about two Advents or two comings. The first is when Jesus came as a child on Christmas day, born to Mary and Joseph 2000 years ago. But the Bible talks about a second coming, a time where Jesus will come again, bringing an end to all of human history and ushering in a new heavenly era. And so you and I, we live in between two advents. We remember the first coming of Jesus Christ and we await the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that really is what the Advent season is all about. And the, the implications of that are this, that as we approach the scriptures, as we do each week, we discover that God's people are often called upon to wait. The Old Testament is all about God's people waiting for the first coming of Jesus Christ. And the New Testament times all the way up to now, to our day, are times that are all about waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so as we think about the Advent season this year, what I want us to do is in this sermon series is is to think about the long wait, to think about what it means for God's people, what it means for God's people to wait upon God. And how do we wait expectantly for the coming of God? And what are we supposed to do in the meantime? What are we supposed to do as we wait for God? And so as we think about that this morning, I want our our passage to start from the very beginning to look at the beginning of this long wait. And so I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter three, uh, verses six to 21. This is God's word. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly, you shall go and dust. You shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for what it teaches us, uh, not just about ourselves, but about what you are doing in time and in space and in history to redeem us from ourselves, to redeem us from our sins, to redeem us from the curse of death. I pray that as we reflect on this passage and we reflect on what it means to wait upon you, that you would visit us in your word. May the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I don't have to tell you that this is one of the most fundamental passages in all of the scriptures. Uh, It's fundamental for helping us understand the good news of the gospel, but it's also fundamental for helping us diagnose all that has gone wrong in the world in which we live. But if you really think about it, this passage has a lot to do with our topic of waiting as well, because it tells us why we wait. It tells us what we wait for. And finally, it tells us what happens while we wait, what happens during the wait. And that's what I want us to consider this morning. Years ago, a a theologian named Cornelius Plantinga Jr. uh, wrote a book called Not the Way It Is Supposed to Be. And I think the title of that book really says it all. 
Uh, his argument is that each and every one of us has an innate sense that this world really is not the way it is supposed to be, that it ought to be different, that it ought to be better. And so every world religion that's out there, every worldview, uh, every philosophy tries to answer that fundamental question. What is wrong with the world in which we live and how do we fix it? Or how does our world get fixed? Really, our passage this morning answers all of those questions. It tells us what is wrong with the world. It tells us where all of these problems began. It tells us that all of the pain and the suffering that you and I deal with on a daily basis, it tells us where all those things came from. But it also tells us why we wait. It tells us why we wait. So look at verse six very quickly. It says this, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now we all know this story well, or we've all heard it at least at some point in our lives. And so we know that Adam and Eve are living in perfection. They have a perfect relationship with their heavenly father. Uh, They have a perfect relationship with the created world that is around them. And they even have a perfect marriage. Uh, They have a perfect relationship with one another. But what we also see is that all of that was ruined by one moment where a small bite was taken from a forbidden fruit. We also know that it's not so much about the fruit. It's more about the fact that they had violated the one law that God had given them. And so we see that they had chosen not to be submissive to their creator. Instead, they decided as the creation to rebel against their creator because Adam and Eve at the end of the day were not content to just be a creation. They wanted to be their own gods. And so the result of that is that perfection has disappeared. Perfection is gone. Sin has entered into the equation. Humanity becomes tarnished and the world becomes polluted. And so humanity's relationship with God becomes one of estrangement. Their relationship to the created world around them has been dragged through the mud. And their relationship with each other and all the other relationships that they're gonna have have become flawed and they've become broken. In effect, the world is not the way it was supposed to be. And humanity as a result of all that is left wanting. Humanity is left longing for something that is better, but also with the fundamental inability to get to that place or to accomplish it for themselves. And this friends is why we wait. But I think this little story is also instructive for us on why it's hard for us to wait as well. You see, Adam and Eve, they, they wanted to be like God. They didn't want to live in submission to God. And so they wanted to have their hands on the steering wheel of their life. They wanted to, to be in the driver's seat, as it were. They wanted to be in control of their circumstances and everything that happens to them. But friends, when you think about it, isn't our lack of control the very thing that makes waiting so hard? 
And what I mean by that is this, we've all, we all know what it's like to have to sit in traffic. That's one of the things that I absolutely hate to have to do to sit in traffic. So imagine for, your, for a moment yourself sitting in traffic. And as I do that, I reflect on the fact that when I'm sitting in traffic, there's absolutely nothing that I can do to change my situation. I feel helpless. I feel fundamentally out of control of my circumstances that I find myself in. And so when I get irritated about having to sit in traffic or even angry about having to sit in traffic, really what I'm angry about may not be the traffic itself. Really what I'm angry about is my inability to control my situation. I remember years ago when we were shopping for our first home and uh, what an exciting time that always is uh, for the first time, for the second time, anytime you do it, it's an exciting time. And I can remember putting a couple of contracts into different homes. And I can remember we put a contract into a home that we really wanted. And if you've ever done this before, you know, you put the contract in and then it's a waiting game. You just have to wait for the seller to respond. Well, I can remember vividly waiting for that uh, seller to respond and calling my realtor probably 10 times a day asking, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? I hated the waiting because it reminded me that I wasn't in control of the situation. And so at the end of the day, I really hate, maybe you're like me, at the end of the day, I really hate the lesson that waiting tries to teach me each time I have to do it. I hate the lesson that I am not in control of the circumstances of my life. We struggle with this in small ways every single day, uh, but we also certainly struggle with it in big ways, in some of the most fundamental aspects of our lives where we are simply called to wait. We struggle with it because we're like, an, we're like Adam and Eve. Uh, that same disease that is in them is in you and I. We want to be like God. We want to take control of our lives. And when we can't, or when we find an inability to do so, we get really angry and often we get really fearful. Now, Adam and Eve had to face the consequences of their rebellion. And you and I have to face some of those consequences as well. We live in a world that is not the way it is supposed to be. We cannot fix it left to ourselves. That task is too big for us. That task is beyond us. And so our passage tells us why it is hard for us to wait. It tells us why we wait, but it also shows us what it is that we are waiting for. Look at Genesis 3 verse 15. It says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This verse is an important one. Uh, it's been classically called uh, the proto-evangelion, which is a fancy way of saying the first good news. And it gives us the very first glimpse of what it is that we are really waiting for. Our passage reminds us that there were consequences for this rebellion in the garden. Uh, Adam has to face some consequences. Eve, of course, faces some consequences. The serpent as well. Uh, he bears consequences because this heavenly covenant has been violated. 
and there are ramifications for everyone involved, meaning there's really bad news for all that are involved in this story, including you and me. But even as God is pronouncing his curses upon Adam and Eve and the serpent, even as he is pronouncing his curses, he gives us a hint that those curses or that judgment or or even those punishments will not be the final word in this story. Genesis 3.15 talks about a conflict that will come between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. And at some point, the offspring of the woman will even gain victory over the offspring of the serpent. What the passage tells us is that God, at some point, it begins to hint at this, that God is at some point going to send an offspring from the woman who would gain victory over the forces of evil, over sin, and over death. God was going to send an offspring of this woman who would fix everything that has gone wrong in the world. In short, God was sending a rescuer. And Adam and Eve would simply have to wait for that rescuer to come. I have to imagine that Adam and Eve really clung to this promise. And so when Adam and Eve have their first son, a young boy named Cain, they had to wonder or at least think that maybe this is the rescuer that God has sent to rescue us from everything that's gone wrong. And then of course, Cain winds up uh, murdering his brother Abel. And that probably gave them a clue that this isn't the rescuer that they were expecting. And so for Adam and Eve, the wait would be longer than they had expected. They would have to wait longer. They would have to teach their children to wait as well. And their children would need to teach their children to wait as well. And so for generations and centuries, the job of God's people was to wait expectantly for the rescuer to come. And then what the Christmas story tells us is this, that thousands of years later, an angel would come to a poor young girl named Mary. And that angel would come with an announcement. And the announcement was this, that the wait was over, that the seed is about to come, that God will triumph over evil through a baby that was born to Mary and Joseph. Jesus would be the rescuer that humanity has been waiting for. So for thousands of years, God's people waited by faith for the savior to come. And now the Christmas season tells us that savior, now he has arrived and that through his life and his death and his resurrection, he defeated death. He crushed the head of the serpent. And then at the end of his time on earth, he ascends into heaven telling his people that he will come again. And so ever since then, God's people have been waiting by faith for his return. But I think for many of us, that wait has been, has felt pretty long. It's been long. It was long for God's people before that first advent. And it's been long for God's people after his first coming. And so because of the length of this wait that we have to live within, 
Our passage also tells us what we are to do while we wait. It tells us what actually happens while we wait. Look at verse 21. It says this, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and he clothed them. You see, God had promised Adam and Eve that he would send them a rescuer. He promised that he would come at some point and fix everything that had gone wrong. They would simply need to wait by faith for that rescuer. But how did that help them tangibly in the now? After all, when you think about it, they were still left in that moment feeling naked and feeling exposed. In that moment, they still were left feeling and dealing with the carnage of their rebellion, the carnage of their actions. They bore a tremendous amount of shame as they exited Eden, as they exited perfection. And so it was great for them to know that God was going to act in the future, but what will he do for them in the now? What will he do for them in that moment? We see that their attempts to cover over their own sin and their own shame was inadequate. They couldn't deal with that burden of shame and guilt. And so God steps in and he covers them. He deals with their nakedness. He deals with their shame. He clothes them. And so what we see here, at least for Adam and Eve is this, that he powerfully meets them while they wait. He powerfully meets them while they wait. And he calls you and I, to do the very same thing. He calls us, of course, to wait expectantly for his coming, but he also calls us to experience him, to pursue him in the meantime. Friends, this is really what the call of faith is all about because the call of faith directs us to look forward for his ultimate rescue, but the call of faith also directs us to look for him in the meantime, to look for him in the now. One of the great Christmas movies, one of the great Christmas classics, I try to watch it every year and I probably mention it in a sermon every year, is the great old Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, and the main character of this movie, It's a Wonderful Life, is a man named George Bailey. And we learn that he is the adventurer in his family. Uh, his whole life goal, all he wants to do with his life is travel all throughout the world, uh, engaging in adventures that he reads about in National Geographic magazine. He just cannot wait to hop in a plane, to leave his boring old town and to pursue a life of adventure. But we also learn about George Bailey is he's a dutiful son and he's a man of integrity. And because of that, he has to learn how to wait. And so year after year, he has to wait and he has to wait and he has to wait some more. His plans get delayed time and time again. And one day he gets so sick of waiting for the life that he expects that he decides that he's going to take his very own life. And then in a moment of divine intervention, an angel named Clarence enters into his story and he changes the perspective of his life. He helps him to see that all those years of waiting were not years spent in vain. 
In fact, he showed him that there was and is tremendous joy in power, even in the waiting. Friends, this life of faith is all about waiting. For thousands of years, God's people have been waiting for him to come. And that wait for him to come and to fix all the messiness in this world, that waiting for him to come and fix everything that has gone wrong, it has been longer than we probably all have expected. But what Advent reminds us is this. It reminds us that life is indeed about waiting expectantly for God to come. But what Advent also shows us is that God is with us in the now, that there is tremendous joy, tremendous strength, and tremendous power, even in the waiting. Let's pray.